gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you I want to welcome all of you in. It is really good to have you. Thank you for being here. Um, I, w- I want to thank the, the team that is going to lead this conversation. So I'm Ken Schumann. Uh, and I am the executive director of Faith Walking here centrally in Houston. Uh, many of you, uh, the faces I know, many of you I don't know. So it's good to get to know you. Uh, Angela Rayleigh is our administrative person here in Houston. And so many of you will interact with her as well. Um, we just, we're, we're excited about these keep walking events and we're excited that you're here. I really appreciate, uh, Sherry, uh, who's one of our board members, uh, leading this for us. And so if you would, let's pause for a moment. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get out of the way and we're going to let them do their thing and teach us about anger. So let's just pause for a moment and be still. And I really invite you just to get fully present to now. Letting go of what's already gone on today. And letting go of whatever we have to do next. And God, we open ourselves to you speaking into us today. We are grateful, Lord, for what you've done within the lives of of our presenters today, and we pray that we'll learn a great deal. Give us new insight, give us new awareness, and guide our conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And Sherry Meyerveen, um, I turn it over to you. Thanks, Ken. And I am uh, here with um, Andy Kodsbaum and Megan Hodgen. We are three pastors. Um, I also work part-time for the Regional Synod of Albany in the Reformed Church in America. So uh, upstate New York, Andy's in New Jersey. Um, Megan's about 30 miles from me up here. And uh, we are pastors and leaders in our faith walking circle here and in the Churches Learning Change community. Um, and what uh, we noticed in ourselves as we've been processing through this last year together as leaders and trying to help in these communities uh, do our own work and invite others into their own work is there's a lot of anger going on. So we are each planning to share some of our unique stories for a very brief time and then invite you into small groups reflecting on Um, what that stirs up in you and where you're at, and then we'll come back um, and and share as a large group for uh, a a few minutes as well. So let me briefly say what I could say in five minutes. My journey with anger uh, started as, as a kid who grew up in a really good Christian home with family that was very involved in church. And what is also true is my father was the child of emotionally unavailable parents. He uh, grew up in the 50s and was a Vietnam War vet that likely had some impact on who he was and is. Um, And I have a great relationship with my dad now. 
and what is still true is what I learned about anger from him was that we suppress it and bottle it up and then we explode. And that explosion causes harm on all those around us. Um, and my sister, who I dearly love, is a frontline worker, essential worker, very proud of her, have a great relationship with her today, but she's six years older than I am. And when we were growing up, what I didn't know is that she was abused by uh, someone in our extended family and as a teenager was very angry all the time. And I saw the harm of that. So my journey with my own anger of learning that pattern from my dad, not wanting to be that way, choosing to be different, choosing to intentionally process my anger openly, um, led to the first few years of my marriage of Mike um, thinking that I was angry with him all the time because I wanted to express my anger openly um, and learning to process that in healthy ways um, so that I was able to, to manage it well and express my anger without exploding on people around me and take responsibility for the impact of expressing my anger. Um, as a female pastor, I've been called an angry feminist, which is a title that I do not like. Um, and over the years, it's a title that I also claim a part of, of well, if you want to see me that way, I will continue to share my emotions openly. I believe, I believe uh, all emotions are a gift of God including anger. It's not a bad emotion. It's a part of who we are. Jesus was angry. What does it mean to not hear a Christian um, phrase? And actually an author that I was recently reading even said, good Christians don't get angry and that anger is a sin. No, I go against that with all of my being. Um, I believe anger is an emotion that we can learn from. And this last year in pandemic, I have been more angry than I probably have been um, at met, you know, most other times in my life. And what I have seen as I've been processing through that anger and was getting present to it, I see a lot of grief, a lot of grief. We all know that grief, anger is a, is a part of grief. And that recognition that grief comes not just from loss of life, which I have had dear friends that have died, but but also material loss, relationship loss, intrapsychic loss, functional loss, systemic loss. Um, I'm quoting from All Our Losses, All Our Griefs by Kenneth Mitchell and Herbert Anderson. But anyway, we think about all those layers of loss and all of the change that we all have had to face. And I have seen in myself and in others as I pastor and interact in the community, grief. One particular story that has been very touching for me was talking with a, um, a fellow Christian community member that I know and love and care deeply about, and yet has a lot of views that are very different from my own. Um, and he got to a safe place of admitting to me why I don't wear a mask for himself. Um, and and, and, and as I was trying to listen to him, then he told me this big, long story. And it was all about all the changes and all the difficulties that his six children have faced during this time and the things they had prepared for that never were able to happen and the loss and the loss and the loss and the loss and the places he couldn't go and things he couldn't do. And, and he's like, and that's why I won't wear a mask. 
which I thought, wow, that's an interesting connection. And I, and I mentioned to him, that sounds like a lot of grief and a lot of loss. And he says, oh, I hadn't really thought of it that way. And it was just this Kairos moment to be able to see how grief was interplaying in the anger that he was feeling and the behavior that he was choosing out of that um, and seeing that in, in him and, and in myself, seeing my anger at the, at the different changes and, um, you know, within all of the systems and the, as the technology issues bubble up and, um, and all the different layers, but then also in some of my roles in different integrity gaps um, that were happening as people were trying to do the best they can during pandemic, but yet there's an impact um, on what's not getting done and my, my tendencies towards over-functioning and then being bitter and resentful and, and realizing the impact of all of that on me and the anger I was feeling. I came to a place um, in, our, in our conversations, actually it was with Megan, where I was acknowledging my anger and, and, I, and I was saying, yeah, I need to stop being angry. And then I caught myself saying, stop being angry as a coach. Wait a minute. That's not a good way to manage anger. And what is that anger trying to tell me? What have I, how do I learn from my anger? And so getting present to the boundaries that were being crossed within me and getting present to the, um, the, what did need to, to happen? What was I in control of in some of these integrity gaps and what actions could I take? And um, so how I needed to get into action. And so um, as a part of our coaching network, Andy was, uh, and I were partnered up as we were sharing about writing a guiding principle. And I was sharing my anger story and had come up with um, the guiding principle of, I, I want to be someone who rages responsibly, who does no harm with my anger but listens to it, learns from it, and gets into action so that it becomes a motivator for me um, in, in the who I want to be in the world, in the positive sense of things. So how do I rage responsibly? And, and as Andy's story also was relating to anger, Megan and Andy and I began to wonder, if we're all dealing with anger, how many other people are dealing with anger? And my, my assumption is, is that Throughout this last year, we've all got some level and measure of anger, and we likely have some struggle with how we're managing it. So that's why we're here today, and that's a part of my story. And I'm going to turn it over to Andy and Megan. Shall I go for it, Andy? Or do you, would you like to go? All right, I'll go. Thanks, Sherry. Um, so as Sherry said, I'm Megan Hodgen. I serve a church in upstate New York. Um, and I too grew up with a certain mental model of anger, uh, uh, an understanding of how anger ought to work. I had two suppressed and ignored and buried. That's what I saw in some of the adults in my life as a kid. Or the alternative, the, the other pattern I saw was anger that bared on raging into violence. Um, very little was physical violence, but more just verbal, raising of voices, yelling, saying things that are inappropriate. And so as a child, without even knowing I had done it, I made a very unconscious choice that uh, if those are my two options, 
the lesser of two evils was the burying, ignoring, suppressing path. So that's what I learned to do as a kid with my anger. And I've done that my whole life until the last maybe three months <laughs> where I finally given myself permission to, to consider a different way. So burying it my whole life then, fast forward to, you know, a few months into pandemic life. And I would say that I was in full-blown experience of burnout. And I recently read um, that Herbert Friedenberger defines burnout with these three ingredients. Emotional exhaustion, which is fatigue that comes from caring too much for too long. So emotional exhaustion plus depersonalization, which is the experience of depleting empathy, lack of caring and compassion. So caring for so long that now you just can't care anymore. Plus the third ingredient is a decreased sense of accomplishment, an unconquerable sense of futility or a feeling that nothing you do makes any difference which I imagine for many people in this pandemic life, it resonates with your experience. So that is where I was maybe last spring, late spring, May, June, so on. And I knew that's where I was, but I didn't know what to do about it. And a friend had recommended a podcast to me um, from the Unlocking Us podcast with Brene Brown, which I follow myself. But I hadn't listened to this one episode where she interviews two sisters, Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski, who have written a book that I now have started reading, and it's called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And in the book, they share their own research and experience about how emotions have a cycle, a natural cycle that they are intended to take. And they talk about stress the same way that our faith walking community talks about anxiety. So anytime I use the word stress, uh, you can replace it with your understanding of, of anxiety, that, that there's a physical response to stress and anxiety, right? And so when emotions, or when we feel stress or any kind of emotion, they want to complete the cycle, but if there's not an ability to do so, they get stuck in our body. So our body holds on to them and it has a physical impact. So I was aware that while I was experiencing burnout, I was also experiencing fatigue and pain in my body. Um, and a good therapist, a good coach, and some good friends like Sherry and Andy, who are trained as coaches, encouraged me to stay curious about it. And when I did, what I saw is that these, the primary emotion that was stuck for me is the emotion of anger because it had been with us for so long. And when I brought curiosity to these places of anger, what I discovered is as much as I wanted to look away, anger was bringing me, was teaching me something. It had something to share with me. Um, and it brought me a lot of clarity about what I had been ignoring. And that is primarily that it helped point me to a few traumatic experiences that I had not recognized as trauma. I hadn't called them trauma. I thought I could just move on. But there were experiences that I've had in the last five years that, that would be classified as trauma. And now that I could see them, now I'm still learning. I have not accomplished any of this 
But now I'm able to at least start wondering how to bring care to those places of trauma, particularly as the experience of pandemic is traumatic as well. And so it's now re-triggering those other experiences I had. And I all that was happening without my awareness, right? Um, and now, again, I've, I'm, I'm in the learning phase of this, not an accomplishment phase. But now what I'm learning is how to see that that's what happened in my body and in my brain and my heart and my spirit. And now I'm learning how to bring care to expressing that anger, sometimes verbally, sometimes physically, exercise, movement, breathing. Um, in ways that allow that. You know, we planned this and said, yeah, we can each talk for five minutes and then bounce some things across each other and pass you off to small groups. We thought that's plenty of time. It's not. <clears throat> so these are just little snippets of our stories. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about my, my process and the questions that have gotten me where I am and then some of what I see as the work ahead. Because um, what I've, I've learned in this is that that sharing uh, helps me to see and make progress. And also, you know, Sherry and Megan's sharing has been much of what's been helpful for me to grow and see things in myself too. So maybe it will be beneficial to others. But um, so if you, <clears throat> if you know me and, and some of you do um, and know my public self, you would never think that I would get angry. Um, I'm a very even keeled person um, that stays pretty, <clears throat> pretty level through almost anything. If you get into my private self and some of those inner circles, you might start to see me get angry a little bit more often. If you get into the, the closest ring of that with my wife and children, you'll see it more often. And if you get into the secret self, you'll see um, a hair trigger temper that strikes sometimes, um, especially toward my immediate family. Um, my wife and I had twins three and a half years ago. Those are our only kids. So we went from zero to two or 200. Um, and, and in all the complexity that's added to life since then, one of the things I've noticed is that my anger gets triggered far more easily and far more often. And as I was noticing that in the context of parenting, particularly, um, I wanted to understand that anger and where it was coming from so that I could deal with it and dealing with it meant make it go away. Right. You heard some of that in Sherry and Megan too, like just, I should not be angry. And that's the solution. Um, <clears throat> so first, just saying that out loud in the context of this faith walking community and some of our uh, faith walking modules and coaching and other things um, has given space to get curious and think about that more. And one of the places that I came to was going back actually to content from faith walking 201 which is part of the old Faith Walking Core 4 that I had taken a few years back, um, and a, a section in there about emotions, talking about how anger comes from a sense of being wronged. And it, it helps me to think in terms of um, like perceived injustice. So sometimes that's legitimate injustice and righteous anger. We see Jesus getting angry and flipping the tables of the money injured in the temple and respond injustice um, that part of our will or self or a boundary has been crossed by another 
And that started to ring true for me as I tried to listen to the anger. So why am I angry? Where is it coming from? When am I angry? What is that voice that's yelling inside saying? And I heard that it was saying things like, I shouldn't have to be dealing with this. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And you aren't. And now I'm bearing the consequences of that. And that's not fair. Um, and in different ways, it was something similar to that, that I heard that was yelling inside me. Um, <clears throat> and thanks actually to Sherry's sharing at some point, she had mentioned that one of the things she was thinking about was, who do I want to be when I'm angry? Or how do I want to be angry? I had never thought of that question because I thought the goal was just make it go away. So as I wondered, how do I want to be? I realized that that voice crying out, it's not fair, is not who I want to be. Um because who said anything about fair in love and marriage and parenting and forgiveness, right? Um, I realized one of the things my anger was inviting me to see was that at some point along the way, I'd given my word to love my wife and my children as long as it was convenient and beneficial to me. That implicitly there was something like that promise that I had made. Um, and then listening and sitting with that, the anger invites me then to actually give my word to something bigger and better in those relationships. Uh, and I'm still playing around with exactly what that is. I've played around, you know, love unconditionally, love with grace. Those don't seem to have like punch or um, really sort of move in me. Um, one of them that does is saying something like, you know, in this relationship, I want to seek their good and not my own. I want to die to myself to be able to bless them. Um, and so while I don't have that completely settled, the work then starts to split into some different areas. Um, dealing with things like, you know, meaning making. I'm making a lot more meaning out of the action of three-year-olds than I should be, and it's not about me. Um, things like learning to forgive, um, and that means suffering the consequences of another's actions and love. Um, and that that's what I want to choose to do. I want to listen to my anger and actually take responsibility for it. And that connects often to the world of nonviolent communication. If you're familiar with that, what it means to take responsibility for emotions by identifying the need to suffer silently and rage inside about it and then explode and then hide in shame until it goes away. Um, until I can pretend like it didn't happen until it happens again. Um, but that there's a different way of being where if I can listen to that anger and take responsibility for it and see what I need and ask my wife for that, then she has the opportunity to be different. Um, and the cycle gets interrupted as opposed to just the way I have been doing it, which makes the cycle go and go and go. Um, so, so instead of just indulging the rage, what does it mean to take responsibility for it? Um, and the last quick piece is I'm seeing one of the things I want to give my word to is being part of my kids learning to rage responsibly themselves. Cause I see the same temper in both of them. There's a, a, a boy and a girl at three and a half. Um, and what would it look like for me to model and talk about this and give tools to them at three that I'm finally picking up at 34. Um, and what might that do? Um, so yeah, again, as Sherry and Megan both said, there's a ton more that could be said, but that's at least a start. So we also wanted to take a couple minutes to kind of see if there's anything we 
that resonated that we wanted to come back to. Or did we blow past our time? We should keep going. Yep. We need to go to small Great. groups. Um, yeah. So as, as you come here and reflect on anger and uh, what are you seeing in yourself? What is resonating with you? So we, I just put some questions in the chat for you, which hopefully will stay there as you go to small groups. And um, Ken was going to put us in groups. If, uh, Ken, I don't know if the, I think these are just random. And so we invite you to have this be a safe place for just listening to each other, not trying to um, fix anyone um, or give advice, but just be able to be present and, and witness where where you're at um, in a safe place of listening well to each other and invite you to share around how's anger showing up for you right now? What do you see in yourself? Where do you think that anger is coming from? What is it trying to teach you? And what do you need to grow into your own capacity to rage responsibly? So those are our questions for you. Ken, do you have any other instructions for us? Uh, no, uh, I would ask a question from uh, you three presenters. How long do you want the small group to last? And will we come back after that for a debrief at the end? Yes, let's go for 20 minutes and uh -huh. then we'll come back for the last 10. Okay. Thank you for being here and for sharing. Um, and uh, yes, so um, I, I think Angela, only I can see this. So Megan and Andy, we were asked to respond to how do you experience anger in your body? What is the process in your body connecting? Um, and then also acknowledging connecting anger with trauma um, overall. And um, yes, positive declarations, giving your word to self, take your responsibility for your anger. I think these were some of the things that Ken had to leave for a class so that if he were able to stay, he would have wanted to, um, to come back to in the highlighting. Um, but I know that the... And in our, in the small group I was in, there was an acknowledgement that, you know, it's easier for some of us to be in touch with our emotions than others. And especially if we've learned patterns of suppressing, that, that, that then becomes really hard work to make space for um, and to get in touch with our emotions and even to see. So when we ask the question, how's anger showing up for you right now? For some people like me, that's an immediate, I could list off 50 things I'm angry about. <laughs> and for others, like, I don't know. Um, and it might take days or weeks or maybe even longer to, to get present to. And, and none of that is wrong or bad. That's just how we're individually created and where we're at in our journeys. And so how do we, how do we make space for that? And what are some things that can help us? Um, and it, Megan, I'm wondering if you wanted to say a little bit more about the body connection as that's a part of your own journey. Yes, I just put the title of the book I mentioned in the chat. Somebody it looked like somebody was asking for that. Um, so burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle. So what what I'm learning is that um, when we feel stress or anxiety, I'm using those words interchangeably, our body does natural responses to change our cardiovascular system, our um our nervous system, all those parts of our body change in order to divert energy to the parts of our body that keep us safe because our body is perceiving a threat. And if there's a real threat, that's important. 
when when the threat is not something we need to really run from or um, or fight, then what we have to do is work on helping our body learn that it's safe. Because if it doesn't learn that it's safe, it continues to respond and changing all those systems internally to try and protect itself. So so if our if if our emotion, our anger doesn't complete its cycle, then our our bodies, like our digestive system, continues to stay slowed so that our muscles get all the, the attention in the blood so they can be ready to run or fight at any time. Um, so that's some of the how the process works. And then what I'm still learning is, is how to then come back and bring attention to the, the emotions that are trapped inside. And there are exercises that they explain in the book. Um, some of them are exercises you've probably learned other places, like literally moving your body, going for walks or runs or hikes, or doing meditative breathing, um, or having a good cry or a really good belly laugh. Because what all those things do is they communicate to your body that it's safe. Because until your body gets that message, it doesn't think it's safe and it continues to act in a protective way. So right now I was just in a really stressful meeting last night in a really emotional meeting and my muscles, all my shoulders are like incredibly tense, like up to my ears. Um, And I know that's because those emotions need attention. Um, And so hopefully later today I can make some space for that and it might take more than a day with these particular kinds of emotions that I'm feeling. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I mean, what I heard you saying from my brain is that how do we do our good calming practices to allow our parasympathetic nervous system to kick in to bring down that threat? So even the coaching question of asking ourselves, what is the threat and is there a threat can be helpful for us. But then the deep breathing, centering prayer, exercise, laughing, crying, um, having a safe place to express and acknowledge what is. I mentioned in our group that um, my husband and I have committed to looking into practicing welcoming prayer um, as a part of our Lenten journey. All of those are great practices to help with that. Andy, did you see in the chat you have a question how do you how do you be a parent of twins when your twins are saying no? Well, yeah, and it's one thing when they're toddlers. It's another thing if you're asking, you know, an adult to make a request of them and they don't answer. So it's a question I'd love to know the answer to if anyone knows it. Um, I mean, one of the things I've discovered is there's something um, there's something important about even just going through the process of. Um, what nonviolent communication would would lay out of taking responsibility for the emotion by um, by coming to see the underlying need that more than likely is not being met, um, and then making a request. But that alone, and in faith walking language, that may be something like setting a boundary, um, which is module four of faith walking foundations. If we need a sales pitch for that um, boundaries, uh, <clears throat> and but it has to be a request, not a demand. And the other, the other person needs to be free to comply or, or not comply and define themselves. Um, and yeah, they may choose not to honor the request. And then you have to, to deal with wherever that brings you. Um, but because in the end, the only person we can't control is ourselves. We can't control them as much as we want to. Um, but 
but we've done the thing that we can do, I think, at this point. So I, I wish I had more and a better answer. Maybe somebody else has something to share. <laughs> well, on the on the parenting front of one who's a few years farther down, my children are 10 and, and 13. And uh, I, I hear all that and I say, oh, consequences, consequences. So I get to choose who I be. And um, the um, Gottman Institute has actually a really good emotion coaching for kids. If you there's an online thing you can look at that um, that was really helpful for me in in that how do I how do I continue to acknowledge and recognize that I I need to keep doing my stuff as I parent and as my anger wells up at my children who are absolutely refusing to do <laughs> what I wish they would do. And and then what will be the consequences of their choices that they still need to face? Um, so that's the from my standpoint is there's multiple times where I have an internal conversation with myself as I acknowledge that I'm getting really angry and is now this is theirs this is theirs it's not mine I still get to choose who I want to be right now and and why I'm not going to take on <laughs> what their choices are even though. <laughs> Um, they're, uh, what, what they're choosing is, is not what I would choose for them, which is not an answer either, but it's a, in the sense of that's all really hard work and a lot of words. <laughs> Absolutely. Brenda, go ahead. I'm not an expert parent, but I, I did raise six. Um, and I, I'm right now they're age 36 down to 17. My last one at home. And, you know, that teenage year, that preteen to 17 is rough, you know, because they're developing their independence. And one thing I have learned is that I wished in raising the others that I I had actually been a little bit more respectful of what they were feeling and their ideas rather than, oh, because I said so. Or, oh, the, you know, I don't want you to do this, you know, because this is what I feel. Um, I'm not saying, you know, do bad parenting by just let them run free and do whatever. But I think that teaching them to be able to express their anger in better ways, um, because I mean, we, we've done the slamming doors, we've done the screaming, yelling. I, I, I'm, I'm Spanish and French. I was raised in a family of screamers. And unfortunately, my children all became screamers, you know, so, well, except for one. <laughs> but it's just, they they really want to be heard. And I think that that's where we fail as parents. We don't listen because we're thinking, well, I know better. So, you know, and, and I, and I've, you know, a couple of my kids have left because of it. So I just, that is one thing I learned though. And I, I've learned to do better with my youngest one. Um, even when I think sometimes the conversations are very foolish, you know, I still want to be engaged, you know, so. Yeah, that's really great, Brenda. And thank you for bringing that in because that is what that I mentioned the Gottman Emotion Coaching helps with is helping us start from a place of acknowledging the emotions and then still um, realizing the expectation and um, and then choosing who we want to be in that. So good, good stuff. And it is time today, friends. Thank you so much for um, joining us. And, and it sounds like this is stirring up a lot in people and there's a um, I hope that you will find ways to continue to process where you're at in safe places and, and keep learning as a part of this learning community. Thank you again. Have a great day. Till I see the Christ in you. I'm gonna look twice at you.
Until I see the Christ in you Till I'm looking through the eyes of love Till I'm looking through the eyes of love